This is Encounters, a dialogue that brings you multifaceted life stories you don't want to miss. If you have a feeling and it's strong, I think you should follow it. And for me, that feeling was so strong. I want to go there and see it and maybe be a part of it and facilitate it if I can. And coming to China made me opened my mm. imagination so much. Technically, I started engaging with the BRI back in 2015. I see it more and more as a vision, as an ideal with time. And I see the wisdom in not defining it so strictly because that's the beauty of the BRI, that it is sensitive to the changing needs as we must be as individuals. So is this vision. It's about mutual benefit. China is much more about giving and sharing what they have learned, what they have achieved. I believe that China matters, not just because of the achievements that China has made, lifted so many people out of poverty, technology, the life here has changed radically. The more important reason is that we studied in geography that this is the third world, Asia, as if we are a burden. And China, by stepping out of that, by working hard, and by showing that we are emerging, has broken that stereotype. Today we are part of not even the developing world, but the emerging world. And I think this is the biggest service that China has done to all of Asia and Africa and other countries that hope to improve. Hello and welcome, I'm Manling in Beijing. My guest today is Zhu Ahmed Khan, a Pakistani researcher based in Beijing, as well as studying the Belt and Road Initiative program at Tsinghua University. She also works as the moderator for an online program called Belt and Road Initiative Face to Face. In the last episode, Zhu shared stories about the connections between her family and China, which planted the seeds of curiosity in her mind and finally led her to Beijing. In this episode, she shares more China stories with us. Do you think the relationship between Pakistan and China can showcase a good relationship amongst the ups and downs and lows and highs that it never really changed? I'll go to my research that I did when I was completing my master's in Tsinghua. I was studying the relationship on the political, economic and the cultural these three people-to-people -people dimensions. Yes. The thing is that, to some extent, for Pakistan and China, that history, we've had a very close bond, but it was mostly political and strategic closeness. Economic and trade, at the time when China was growing, Pakistan and China's trade did not expand at the same rate that it should have, given how close these two nations have been. And also the cultural dimension it could be for the tourists that were coming to Pakistan were Westerners, not so many Chinese, and even Pakistanis going to China was fewer. My study was about how this has been less balanced and CPEC or the Belt and Road Initiative is an opportunity to fix or to further enhance. So you realize that this relationship is evolving or shifting yes. from a political and strategic sort of partnership or relationship to a holistic and uh, especially economic and people-to-people -people culture exchanges. You know, the thing is that 
both the governments in Pakistan and China are, because they have such deep trust for so long, they are in a position to kickstart the economic and people to people. So you see that Pakistanis are the number one beneficiaries of China's government scholarships to students. These students, when they come to China, they learn from China, they go back, they also invite their friends. There's so many tens of thousands of Chinese that are working in Pakistan right now because of the government-led initiatives. And then because of that, some business interests can be explored. So you can have more tourism. So this is an opportunity. Now, it are depends. you one of the beneficiary of Chinese scholarship? The Tsinghua is... Actually, no. No, you paid for yourself. I hope you can... <laughs> you know, I didn't know about it. I will be so honest. No, but, I, but. I just applied to the universities and I just... But, but I got a Beijing municipal. I didn't apply for the CGS. I would have if I knew. You know why? I think this is better. You know why? Why? Because you voluntarily paid to study about China. I don't think so. Yeah. It's not really you're given the money and you're invited, but you are the one who make the voluntary decision that I'm interested in China and I wanted no, to I, I, I learn wanted about to. it. Personally, I didn't know anyone who was going to China. And people thought, some people around me at that time, even now not so much, but till two years ago. Did they understand you? No. I mean, your friends. No. Really? Said, why? Because what my was reasons your, what, were What were different. their concerns, major concerns? No, I was very fierce they did not have concerns but they did not have the awareness why if i could explain to them that i have some insight my personal insight was there at that time that this is going to matter it really was a mentor of mine told me about china's you know how significant it's becoming and it's not just my feeling but he had some evidence and then one or two other people backed it but predominantly they said oh you should go to the u.s for, u.s because mm-hmm. i was studying international politics and i think even chinese students go to the u.s if they want yeah, to study yeah, yeah. international relations mm-hmm. so it's just a trend but then if you have a feeling and it's strong i think you should follow it And for me, that feeling was so strong. When I came to China, you know, I had booked a hotel because I did not get a dorm. I didn't know the language. I had learned a little bit at that time, not enough to even muster a few words. And for a normal person, and then I had issues with registering with the police. It was a lot of small things that I had to figure out on my own at that time. There is and I did it. Okay, it's very obvious. If you want to study China, of course you come to China. But there is another saying that if you want to understand the world affairs and the multilateral international mm-hmm. relationship, you cannot skip China either. You cannot. And this is something now, you know, we're sitting here and you can say this to me. And I know how true that is. And at that time, it was definitely some sort of insight into what was happening. The shift was there. And the reason for me that I was so convinced was that I want this shift. I want this shift. You if anticipated it. I anticipated it. And I said that I would do. And it is capacity, happening, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's something that I want. So I want to go there and see it and maybe be a part of it and facilitate it if I can. And to be honest, I think to a great extent, it was shocking for people to see that, oh, a girl from Lums is in China setting international relations. It's not very common. It's actually nobody did that. But that was the point. It was to be a part of something that I want to believe in stronger, to understand. After three years or four years, do you think people's concept changed? Yes. See, now we have think tank cooperation. When I came to China, we had none of that. 
We have media cooperation. I'm part of the CPEC Media Forum. We didn't have any of this. My theory is that because China is a close friend, we never invested to study China somehow. Whereas I saw that neighboring countries have majors in Chinese and they go and they study and they observe. For us, China was a brother. So this feeling that we need to develop an expertise in understanding each other, it, I think it came a bit late, but now it is there. We tend to study a stranger more. Right. We tend to study those we don't trust. <laughs> yes, indeed. Actually. Because we trust each other too much. That's true. <laughs> so we sort of, sort of lack the investment of time and energy it's, into studying each other, right? We, that's true. That's true. And, you know, coming to China, like before we were like, it was, we, we love China, but, you know, it's it, like a family member. Like you don't study member. your brother and your sister. Say, hey, I know him already you know too him. much, exactly. too well, right? Exactly. Okay, that was a mistake, right? I Usually. Think, I think it. <laughs> I believe that if we had studied more before, we would have more trade and more people-to-people ties and more think tanks talking about how further we can improve. And in that sense, in the political sense, the relationship is so perfect that people did not see that actually, holistically, there's so much more that we can do. And now we see it. So your understand of the Belt and Road Initiative, has it changed yeah, I technically I started engaging with the BRI back in 2015. I see it more and more as a vision, as an ideal with time. And I see the wisdom in not defining it so strictly because that's the beauty of the BRI, that it is sensitive to the changing needs as we must be as individuals. So is this vision. It's about mutual benefit. And I think my understanding of the Belgian Road Initiative is exactly what the CPEC evolved into. We changed, we started with those priorities in 2015, which were infrastructure and energy predominantly and the mm-hmm. Guadalupe port. Mm-hmm. And then with time, now we say, let's also add the socioeconomic dimension. Let's also think about poverty, education, health, people to people. So it's not just the building roads and railways and the the hardware and the infrastructure. It's more like uh, people to people exchanges and down to earth daily sort of help and assistance for each other. It's about people at the end of the day. Everything to do with BRI, I feel now I understand. Before I thought it was more government centric. It's like a very lofty goals and target and blueprint. It's it's daunting. And now it's it's down to earth. Yes, it's human. Yeah, actually, you nailed it. Yes, you hit the hammer. Yeah, it's anchored, right? <laughs> it's it's growing on the people. And they you realize that every way forward that is right will have its benefit for the people. And that is the ultimate stability. And the real solution to the kind of problems we have faced in the past two decades, security, economic, poverty, sustainable development goals. I mean, now you have this initiative, this vision that is an answer to this, not from somewhere else, but from within. So these are the aspiration of all the whole mankind, actually. Yes. And one of the biggest criticisms by some Western countries that have a different mindset, actually, is that it's not defined. It's not the Marshall Plan. It's too vague. We don't know what it is. How can we endorse it? But that's the thing. You know that this is an ideal we want to work towards. You endorse that ideal and then you begin the journey. So the idea is actually behind all the deeds. Yes. All the things we are doing, right? It's it's one step at a time. Just Mm -hmm. like, and I think this is something that I understand. Personally, I understand this better because I've been here for that long. Mm -hmm. What is the way to do things 
in China, in this culture, which could lead to success. It's not about something big and hard and determined so much. It's about determining that what are our goals, just like the sustainable development goals. China lifted 600 million people out of poverty. It would not have been possible if you thought that what we decide today is perfect. It happens when you evolve, when you leave room to change, self-improvement. Yeah, we deserve to be proud of ourselves, right? Yes. But we should not be uh, complacent at the same time. Not complacent. And you also understand from what I know so far that the same doesn't work everywhere. Yeah. This is the best thing. And then to know that for Pakistan, for Sri Lanka, for Kazakhstan, for every other country, it's a different culture. It's a different vision. It's a different society. And there it will have its own manifestation. So your understanding actually is that each country can learn from each other, right? But they have to come up with their own solution. Yes, they have to know what works for them and they have to explore that if they haven't yet determined it. You have already reached certain profoundness in understanding China so far, based on the conversation we just had. What do you foresee that this knowledge and this insightfulness is going to serve you in the future, in career and in life? What do you want to do? Are you going to become a consul or international relationship sort of advisor for your government? Or maybe be one of the think tank lady? I think both of these are options that I would explore. Let's see, because to be honest, I think that for my journey so far, I would not have predicted where I am today four years ago or five years ago. We can't predict the world. It's changing so fast. So right now what I'm doing is I invest most, if not all of my time in enhancing the understanding between both sides. And also I'm working towards how the Belt and Road Initiative can help regional connectivity. It can help Pakistan and China, but more so Pakistan, to have better interaction, trade and opportunities with the region. I also work closely with the Shanghai Corporation Organization. Region, not the, okay, the regional, that means between countries, right? Uh, Region, as in the Central Asian region, how it can enhance relations on the trade technology transfer, people to people, how we can think of a more mutually beneficial arrangement to be in. So I'm trying to also push for better advocacy to enhance trade with the neighboring region. I know you And have. Mm-hmm. also how the BRI is about Eurasian connectivity. So Pakistan can be a central point for trade activities between China, Central Asia, North Africa, Europe. Europe Mm-hmm. Yes. And so how to posture ourselves better in you, this? Yes. You have a lot of rows on your shoulder. I know that you've been engaged what in many activities, but yes. your main job is a host. Is that true? Your main job is the host of the China Economic Net, a program called Belt and Road Initiative Face to Face. Well, uh, that is... That's not your main job. <laughs> Part-time? Basically, my main job is a researcher Researcher, in Tsinghua University at Mm -hmm. the Belt and Road Strategy Institute. Mm -hmm. I also work as the host for China Economic Net, for Belt and Road face-to-face. So I give them equal importance. So all your time is spent on Belt and Road initiatives. This is not it. I also spend some on the SCO, uh, the Shanghai Corporation Organization. Organization. And then I also am a part of a few other initiatives I work with. I think I work in a personal capacity as well to see what opportunities we can explore. Because the thing is that when you are in a room or you are in a space your imagination is also confined by that. Mm-hmm. Coming to China made me 
opened my mm. imagination so much. So what I try to do in my personal limited capacity is also that whoever from Pakistan or other countries, what I feel like they may not have experienced or seen and that could benefit. I mean, I will try to give them that. And in exchange, I learned the same. I think I learn immensely from experts in Pakistan studying CPEC because they have a different way to look at things. And the way I see it is from a Belt and Road prism through a different lens, through the lens of Pakistan is one of many countries and we can benefit from China and we can also use this opportunity to benefit with other countries. Yes, like you said, we need to think out of box when doing programs. And yes, what sort of guests do you invite to your studio for your program face to face? You talk to people, right? Yes. I invite experts. So we have a limitation to some extent, but we have experts who are very well accomplished. In the fields some of, them, of... In the fields of... So mostly Pakistan and China. But eventually we want to expand it as well to other... Hopefully, let's see, maybe that or other opportunities to talk about regional connectivity. So if you have someone from, say, Sri Lanka talking about their experience under the BRI, I think that's something that could be very beneficial for a Pakistani or a Chinese or a Sri Lankan audience as well. As you have With observed time, that it's kind of a shift from political strategic to, you know, trade. trade and even grassroots people. Have you ever invited people, you know, very ordinary yes. people into your studio and talk with them? For sure. Uh, we also have a lot of bankers talk about trade, finance, economic opportunities. We have bankers or professionals who have served at a certain period, which was significant for the relationship. And then for normal people, we have another program called It's When in China, I titled it. And when in when China. In China. Mm-hmm. And it's ordinary people like myself mm-hmm. in China or even students who are living here who have their experience. Pakistani students living in China. Yes. And they talk about their experience, what they learned, what opportunities they see and how they want to serve in the future. So their perspective is actually most important. Yeah, you're presenting their perspectives and their perceptions and also their life here. But what about Chinese people in Pakistan? Anybody who... Actually, this is something that I have had a few proposals from some Pakistani media houses as well that were inspired by what China Economic Net is doing. It is very significant in to make Pakistanis and Chinese see the Pakistani diaspora in China. So they want to do documentaries on Chinese that are based in Pakistan. I personally know quite a few people because I've been to the Gwadar port many times. There are a lot of Chinese living there. What their life is like, some people based in Karachi some in Lahore, my own city. And I think now there are some documentaries that people are planning to do. And they have done a few for Pakistan television, for other dunya news, TV, some private channels as well. They are exploring into knowing better the Chinese and how they are living their lives. Starting from you want to be a engineer and then you pick it up uh, political science as your major and then you studied in Tsinghua and then you focused on media media and uh, Belt and Road Initiative study and anchor woman. If you were allowed or if you were given a chance to go back, do you want to redesign your course? Not a moment, not a single thing that I would change. No regret. No. At all. I don't regret because I think every difficulty that I have faced helped me improve. If I have any improvement in myself, it's not because of the small successes, but because of the failures. Are you a better person because of your major? I can't say that. (laughs) I do think that I've become more suspicious in general because as someone who's in media or in research analysis, 
you have to be very objective in some ways but you also have to foresee and when you foresee you have to think about the negative things as well so in some ways you know i think i've become less optimistic as a person but that's not necessarily a bad thing it just means that maybe i would leave more room for things that could go wrong when i'm imagining and i So you're more curious um, i've become more curious perhaps yes. with time yes if you one day you decided to leave china what are you going to miss most honestly what i will miss the most is the technology as well the technology no i will miss the culture the mindset of the people i really enjoy being in this space chinese people are very open minded in my opinion i will miss that very accepting and on a very practical and i will miss taobao Mm. And um I will Alipay. miss Alipay WeChat pay. Uh, no, <laughs> life in China is not just great because it's great because of the immense history and all of that, but it's also very modern, very advanced. I mean, the amount of time we save because of how good the technology is. Tell me to what extent you are using these modern technology. Everything I on daily basis. I shop online. I order food online. I order my groceries online. I only use WeChat or AliPay to make payments. You I do use... not have cash with you. No. You do not bring cash. No. Do you think this is going to go to Lahore or go to Pakistan? I hope it does. Actually, introduced, actually be introduced into Lahore and Pakistan. AliPay has already signed a con. I mean, we already have everything laid out. It's a matter of implementation now. But yes, not just online shopping, but also online payments. AI technology, things are, you know, the blockchain technology, everything. Technology is the thing that you're going to miss most, right? I will. Um, but, but I'm hopeful about it coming to Pakistan. Yeah. Because uh, we have prioritized it now. Maybe only 10 or 5 or 10 years ago that China was known to the world as made in China. Yes. You know, a manufacturer, right? Made in China everything. Um but now since we have AliPay and all these things, we have kind of upgraded to Much a financial sort of service, right? Space. How do you take on that? It's a good shift. I think of course it's an excellent shift. It's providing alternatives. Technology was something that was so far-fetched for some countries in the world. With China making so many achievements, it's become accessible. And China is much more about giving and sharing what they have learned, what they have achieved. So, number 1 for China itself, the perceptions have changed radically. In 2015, I remember I posted an article about China's technological advancement, and there were some comments that were positive and some were like, mm, "Maybe we don't know." Today, it's indisputable. and you're 100% sure <laughs> and so are people it's the certainty a fact. right certainty okay and i think this is china's technological advancement is excellent for overall development in the region the eurasian region because the way china has postured itself they're much more about sharing this so there's no way back we are already into the uh, fastest sort of um, technological era And there then, is no way back, it, supposedly. Yeah, if no way back. So we're going to share with each other in the future, right? Yeah. I believe that China matters, not just because of the achievements that China has made, lifted so many people out of poverty, technology, the life here has changed radically. That's one reason. But the more important reason is that I remember from Pakistan growing up in the third world. We studied in geography that this is the third world, Asia, as if we are a burden. And China by... stepping out of that by working hard and by showing that we are emerging has broken that stereotype today we are part of not even the developing world but the emerging world 
And I think this is the biggest service that China has done to all of Asia and Africa and other countries that hope to improve Pakistan and Asia and other countries. We are not in the waiting room of history, but we are the present as much as we are the future. And this is the realization that China has inculcated in me and most of us. It's changed the mentality towards ourselves. Zhu's answer opened a new perspective for me in which not only bilateral ties between countries should be observed, but also human relations. We seldom invest enough time and energy into studying those we trust. But if we did more to learn from each other, we would definitely find more opportunities to cooperate more. I'm Man Ling. Thank you for tuning in to our program. And if you liked it and want to listen to us again, just find us on our website, chinaplus.cri.cn and Apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm.